Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm checking in this morning with Sean Taylor. He's Chief Investment Officer for Asia Pacific at DWS. The DWS group manages more than 1 billion Singapore dollars worth of assets. Sean helps the company determine where to invest those funds. We live in tumultuous times. Countries are struggling with how to reopen their economies without sacrificing lives or overwhelming hospitals. In the US, we're seeing states slow down their reopening plans. Here at home, there have been new hotspots like in Beijing, but they appear to be quickly contained. And then there are contracting economies, US-China tensions, upcoming elections. None of this can make your job very easy. Sean, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Really good. So I want to start by asking you, given all this, where do you see the greatest opportunities for investors right now? Well, I think um, overall, we, we see the best opportunities in equities and also credit. Um, equities in the medium term, we don't think there's any alternative, although they are looking through um, what is going to be a dire earnings season. And then credit has been so supported by the Fed um, that, you know, it looks that this will continue and that spreads will, um, will narrow. And that's supportive for all credit. And particularly, we like Asian credit. All right. So when I look at the presentation that you gave this week, one thing that, you know, comes out at me, jumps out, is that you're generally bullish on Asian markets. And you argue that Asia will grow faster, anchoring on China's growth. But isn't China's economy expected to grow at its slowest pace this year since the 1970s? It is. That's very true. But just let me um, explain in a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm. At the moment, we think that China and the U.S. are the two economies that will come out um, the best. They've got the most... um, financial um, reserves to be able to stimulate the economy. Um, on, the, on the China and North Asian side, because the lockdowns were more successful, they you know, contained the virus or phase one of the virus very quickly. Then they got the economies opening. The, the downdraft in GDP has not been as bad. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now we're seeing that you know, with some financial support, with some fiscal help, with some monetary support, those economies are going to be better than the rest of the world. So for China, yes, we've got the worst figures we're, we're going to have in history, but it's 1%, which is relative to, you know, what, 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 what's been, what, what everyone else is, 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 is a very good figure. Given this, um, mm-hmm, go ahead. Sure. No, and so, you know, put it into perspective, mm. we see the Chinese economy reaching the level, the, end, the, the high level of last, the end of last year in the final quarter of this year. We don't see the global economy recovering until 2022. So there's a big difference. Okay. Uh, Are there particular areas of China's economy that you think present the best growth opportunities? I think the way China's changing is is really important. And, you know, one of the biggest changes we think in the next few years will be around technology Mm -hmm. and the implementation of 5G. And that will give a slight, it's still going to be infrastructure investment, but it's not going to be old economy infrastructure. It's not going to be sort of bridges that weren't really necessary or you know, projects for the sake of getting growth and projects. It's going to be much more targeted, much more environmental, much more technology, data centers, base stations, etc. And I think that is going to upgrade Chinese economy because what it will allow is it will allow Wi-Fi and the cloud and, you know, to be much more prominent, much more um, penetration. And that will be really good, not just for the consumer, but for B2B. So factories in the middle of China being able to use 
they're upgrading their technology um, and becoming much more efficient. And that's really, really important. In the short term, we'll probably get some stimulus, given that we're going to have about 8 to 8.5% of GDP um, in fiscal stimulus this year. We'll probably get some good old economy um, areas going back doing well. And also, you know, the long-term trend of e-commerce and anything in digitalization is really, really leapfrogging in China. I mean, one company mentioned to us that, you know, it'd taken 18 months to get some sort of penetration in its online shopping business, mm. uh, sorry, online food shopping business. And, you know, within the first six weeks of the virus, it had taken another 10% of market share. So, you know, the virus is, you know, one, one of the, you know, obviously the virus has been a, a, an appalling um, situation and it still is globally. But, you know, one of the benefits of that is it's leapfrogging some of these um, areas that were beginning to become quite successful. We've invited Sean Taylor this morning to join us in Money and Me. He's Chief Investment Officer for Asia Pacific at DWS. Sean, let's look a little closer at U.S.-China tensions. Overnight, the U.S. Senate unanimously passed a bill aiming at punishing Beijing over the new national security law it's drafting for Hong Kong. So this bill is going to place sanctions on many Chinese officials as well as banks and firms that do business with them. The bill now moves to the U.S. House of Representatives, which is expected to pass its own version of the measure. Do you think there could be a follow-on effect of this on U.S.-China trade? Look, our, our, our base case is that U.S.-Chinese relations will um, get worse over the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And it will be the same whether Trump's the next president or Biden's the next president. But I think there will be a slight difference between whether Trump, Trump's in or Biden's in, which I can explain in a moment. At the moment, though, we do not think that the trade deal will be um, is in doubt. It might be in doubt if we're about six weeks before the election and Trump uses it as a card if he's not doing well in the polls by that time. But until then, his message is, I did a trade deal with China and that's helped American farmers. And that he will keep. The Chinese, in our view, will want to keep it because they would like optionality to deal with America. If they don't have a trade deal, then there's nothing to sort of go back and negotiate on. So it's very important from both sides. The Hong Kong um, security law, well, firstly, we need to know more information about it. We need to know, I mean, and we should get that in a couple of weeks. We need to know what the actual details are, what are the areas it's targeting. And then we need to know, secondly, how the Hong Kong government administration and LegCo is going to be allowed to operate it. I mean, do they have the final say or does Beijing have the final say? That's going to be another important point. And the third is going to be how Hong Kong socially takes it up. You know, whether there's going to be more protests, etc. Because it's been you know, quite quiet over the last few, few months. However, the economic damage is probably going to be less than people think. I think the main thing is going to be about sentiment and confidence going forward. And, you know, particularly for US and international-based companies, they're going to think, well, what's the future of Hong Kong? You know, how are we going to deal with this? And they're going to watch, wait for signs. And actually, in the short term, the signs from China have been very strong. The that you know, Hong Kong is important as a financial centre. Hong Kong is important as the access for foreign capital into China. And so, you know, really, we're going to have to look at what the signs are and the confidence. There's an awful lot of American interest in Hong Kong and in China, many headquarters, and a lot of a lot of American companies um, continue to want to do business and see China as a very, very important market. Mm. So I see the headlines as being worse than the actual detail. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I note that you're overweight on China. And South Korea, I wonder if you can help us understand why? Yes, I mean, China is because 
the relative to the rest of the world, GDP is going to hold up better mm-hmm. and earnings are going to fall less than the rest of the world. Um, and then we have these nice um, sectors that are doing well in technology and e-commerce and digitalization. And also we think that the old economy will do okay with the stimulus. South Korea is, is more on the export side and technology side. And we do think that one thing that the US-China trade war um, has highlighted, particularly over the ban of highway, uh, Huawei or High Silicon, the fabulous um, 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 company that, that Huawei owns, is it's going, it's going to be um, much more important which companies that you select for the semiconductor areas. And it's really highlighted how good Korean and um, Taiwanese companies are. And that's one reason why we're overweight. And we do see now that global demand is weak, but it's going to be picking up in that area quicker than it is going to be in consumer discretionary, etc. So that's an exciting area. Sean Taylor joining us live. He's Chief Investment Officer for Asia Pacific at DWS. Sean, I'll give you an asset class and you can tell us, uh, or a sector, and you can tell us whether you're currently bullish on it or not, or your sentiment or overview. So uh, how are you looking at Hong Kong blue chips or ETFs based on the Hang Seng Index? Yeah, look, we, we think the Hang Seng is an underperformer um, relative to the other indexes in, in, um, in, in, in China. Um, the reason is, is that the Hong Kong domestic economy um, is not doing as well as the, the Chinese economy. And the sectors involved in the Hang Seng, which are mainly you know, banks, utilities um, and property, we see as underperforming and probably f- falling on um, more um, over the next six months than we do the faster growing areas of technology in China. And what is your reading on Hong Kong banks? Um, well, look, all, all banks are going to find this environment really difficult. Mm. And, you know, one is there's a lot of pressure not to pay dividends. And two, um, there's, a lot, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure um, on their um, income statements because interest rates are very, very low. And then if we do have a deterioration in the economy, that could lead to NPLs coming up. So Hong Kong, you know, Hong Kong banks and most financials we see as being an underweight. If in the financial space, what we do like would be property, particularly linked to China. Mm-hmm would be you know, stock exchanges that might be benefiting from different flows, um, and also insurance, because insurance is a, you know, an area which has a structural um, underpenetration in Asia, and that is beginning, you know, um, it's got a good, actually in Singapore it's well, well penetrated, but in the rest of Asia it's very, very low penetration. So we do see that, 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 that more people will get insurance, whether it's medical, and particularly after what happened with the COVID virus, or whether it's more into autos or home or, or life. So that's an area we see with structurally good prospects. We've been discussing on this show um, that audacious bet by Kyle Bass on the Hong Kong dollar peg. Uh, what is your view on the Hong Kong dollar? Um, we, we, we don't see the, the Hong Kong peg being a threat. And actually, at the moment, it's trading at the top of its band. I mean, Hong Kong's in a very good financial situation. Um, I mean, the, it's got m- m- many times more reserves than it had um, during the, the financial crisis, it um, is very well run. Um, the banking system, although I've just said that maybe then there's not really not much growth in the banking system, but the balance sheets are strong. Um, and the loans of most of the Hong Kong entities are to, if they are to China, they're to high, high quality in China. So no, we do not see a worry over the Hong Kong dollar peg. 
um, and therefore are, you know, okay on the Hong Kong dollar. This is Money and Me. You're listening to Sean Taylor, my guest today, Chief Investment Officer for Asia Pacific at DWS, which manages more than one billion Singapore dollars worth of assets. Let's look at the China A shares. Those are the stock shares of mainland China-based companies that trade on two Chinese stock exchanges. Uh, what is the house view on them? We're, we're positive um, in the same way as we're positive on being overweight China. We think the A share will do well. Um, yet again, why um, GDP growth? relatively good earnings relatively falling relatively less and also i think probably the most important thing is that they're driven by domestic investors so they're less they're more sheltered to these global events and this global sentiment and um, i think that's very very important um, because you know one thing when you're running china money and if you're, you're you know even the hong kong market and the adr market in the u.s gets very affected by sentiment that happens in the market so you know monday morning we're sitting you know at the desk in asia and peter navarro starts talking about breaking up the trade deal asian markets fall u.s futures fall an hour later trump's saying don't listen to him trade deal's still back on markets go up again that's a great example of how this sentiment can just change very very quickly where you know in china the local investor was much much more important um, and that's actually a trend that's happening across Asia. One of our longer-term views of why we like Asia, mm-hmm. apart from the fact that the macroeconomic environment is good and that will produce good earnings, is that in the credit markets, particularly Asian investment grade, and in the bigger equity markets, the main investor is becoming local. You have this local bid, and that's made the Asian markets, both credit and equity, much less volatile. And we, can, we see that continuing. And, you know, where's your evidence? You might say, well, you know, 90% of Asian bonds are issued are bought by Asian investors. Um, look at the volumes in, in, in the Chinese markets. They're it's all mainly local. Look at the India, the mutual fund industry, and how that's grown over the last few years. You know, lots, $40 billion have been sold of emerging market ETFs this year. But actually, local markets in the last three months have gone up because local investors are seeing the value and they're buying. And that's going to be a really big support fundamentally going forward. And is that support base also going to help Chinese internet companies? We saw revenue at Chinese internet firms growing some 4.9% in the first four months of this year. What is the house view? Um, the the bigger, um, higher quality Chinese internet companies, yeah, I think are going to, are going to do, um, continue to do very well. I mean, one of the risks was the ADR listings, but most of them are are now going for dual listings in Hong Kong, which I think it gets rid of that risk. Mm. Um, look, I think I think it's one sector where people, you know, it's a global, it's a, it's a sector which is in global trend. They're cheaper than the developed market um, versions, and they've got you know much higher growth. So yes, I think they will will continue to be bought by international investors. And the interesting thing is, a lot of these companies, when they were less, listed just on the ADR. Um, they're not available to be bought by the average person in China mainland. Mm. And so as they come into Hong Kong and as they get into the Hong Kong Connect, which does take a little time, but it will happen over time, then they are available for the, for the China uh, mass market, which is very, very important. So we've seen the U.S. market rally mostly led by the tech sector. Are you expecting a rotation to, to value in cyclical stocks? We've had, the interesting about this is we've had a little bit of a valley tilt over the last month. 
Um, we don't think it's really sustainable um, in the longer run unless we see GDP figures pick up and we also see the yield curve pick up. But we did get to a stage in the US where we'd had a very narrow rally, because mainly the technology companies. And um, we now see that sort of widening out. But we still do like the technology area. So we're a bit more barbelled at the moment. And so from a global perspective, we've said, okay, take the overweight down in the US and put more money across Europe, Japan, and Asia. And then take the you know, tech and healthcare bets down a little bit and put some more cyclicality in, particularly on the materials area, just, just to balance that. The problem is when people talk about value and growth in the US, mm-hmm. the US is, is, is really a growth market. So when people want to buy value, they've really got to look outside of the US. Mm-hmm. And when they look outside of the US, they look at Europe and it's mainly financials, you know, where, you know, it's so it's more of a sort of short term recovery trade. But or emerging you know, markets? Well, the thing about emerging markets is it's very differentiated. Um, but if we are, so there's some markets doing very well relative to others, and like North Asia relative to, let's say, Latin America or South Africa or Turkey. Hmm. But we have, the one thing we're pretty sure of is that we're going to have zero interest rates globally, um, or particularly in the US. They're not going to go up. The Fed has mentioned that, reiterated it last night. We're going to have a... a a recovery, whether it's a short, a slow V, um, as in at the moment, you're seeing much better economic data coming out of the US because you know, we've had, when you cut off production, it goes to naught and then suddenly you produce again. Then you have a bit of a V shape and then afterwards you start to plateau. And when that starts to come up, you know, we've got, we're going to have economic growth that's picking up, but we're, we're very worried about job creation in the US. So we don't see unemployment going um, um, unemployment coming down mm-hmm. um, as quickly as, as, as growth will. And this will force central banks and the government to continue to invest. So, you know, we've, we heard these, this talk about a huge infrastructure package in the US. Mm-hmm. You know, China will continue to um, put money into the market. And this big infrastructure boom that happens will probably be very good next year for emerging markets because emerging market domestic economies benefit from the commodity side of that. And then also on the other side, we've got the tech side of, of, of North Asia that we've been talking about, which I think is very interesting. Well, we're Money FM, so I can't let you go without asking if there's any sectors in Singapore or Singapore equities that you like. Um, Singapore, I'd still more go for the, for the domestic area and for the REITs um, because they, 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 they fell a lot, um, begin to pick up again. That would be my, my, my favourite sector. And as the cyclicality starts to improve, um, as ASEAN starts to pick up again, um, would be more favourable on the financials. Terrific insights. Thank you for your time, Sean. A pleasure. Sean Taylor, he's Chief Investment Officer for Asia Pacific at DWS, helping us out in Money and Me this morning. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.